Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's largest mortgage lender. Spring will be here soon, so if buying a new home is on your to-do list, right now is the time to call Quicken Loans. Learn about which mortgage options make sense for you and get a jump on your competition. With our exclusive Rate Shield approval, the low rate you lock today is protected for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. With a Rate Shield approval, if rates go up, your low rate stays locked. But if rates go down, you get that new, even lower rate. Either way, you win. Talk to us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com to take advantage. Here's another great reason to work with us. For a record nine years in a row, J.D. Power has ranked Quicken Loans highest in the nation in customer satisfaction for primary mortgage origination. Again, to lock in today's low mortgage interest rate and get the security of our exclusive rate shield approval, call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. For J.D. Power award information, visit jdpower.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Sesame Ginger Glaze Chicken Signature Wrap. How would you like it? I'll take a... Sports announcer at home? Yeah, how'd you... We just know. My wife picks up the new Signature Wrap. It's got double the rotisserie-style chicken mixed with a Sesame Ginger Glaze. She appears annoyed at me, but she shrugs it off. Those sweet and savory flavors are calling her name. She lifts the wrap and... She takes the bite! Incredible! And now she's closing the door on my... Subway, make it what you want. Limited time only at participating restaurants. Double meat based on average six-inch sub. I'm Little Teapot, short and stout. Here is my handle and here is my spout. No, that like this. When I get all steamed up, then I shout, tip me over and pour me out. <laughs> this is WWE superstar Roman Reigns. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. It's the refreshingly non-political podcast about everything else. I'm Alan Ray, and I do this for free. It is the refreshingly non-political podcast about everything else, and I am your humble host, Alan Ray. On a beautiful, beautiful Friday before Labor Day weekend. Can't ask for a much better day. Cool nights. Oh, sleep like a baby on nights like this. Nice, warm, sunny days. 
I love this time of year. Big show for you. I'm going to get a little nostalgic. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. We're going to have some fun. You know, I always get a little nostalgic this time of year. In five days, five days, I'm going to be 55 years old. Oh my gosh. If that doesn't send up sirens, I don't know what does. <laughs> and you know, I always get a little nostalgic. I start thinking about, you know, where I've been what I've gone through and, and the older I get, it's, it's kind of weird. I, I'm going through this transition and you're going to have to indulge me a little bit here because there's going to be a large chunk of this show that has to do with, with things that have happened in my lifetime, because I find it, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a history buff, not a major one. I can't sit there and tell you all these little facts and details, but I like reading stories about history. I like seeing where we've been. I also like looking to the future seeing what's to come. And, and quite honestly, lately, especially the past few years, since I hit the big 5-0, I like to look around and see where we are, see what we're doing. Now, I know, I know, right now, things are a little squirrely. Things are a lot squirrely. In fact, things are stupid. Uh, we have civil unrest going on. We have this pandemic going on. We have, you know, Parts of the world that are shut down. We've got all kinds of things happening. It's weird right now. Everything's a little weird. People don't know how to feel. There's a lot of depression. There's a lot of uh, people that are afraid to go outside. It's sad. It truly is sad. But, but overall, I mean, take this little pandemic thing out of the picture. Overall, we're doing pretty good for ourselves. And really, honestly, we've come full circle. I mean, when I was born, there was civil unrest. <laughs> there were riots in the street. There were people being beaten. 1965 was, uh, it was really starting to be a crazy time of the, the, the history of America. We were embroiled in uh, starting to get ourselves deeply, deeply into trouble in Vietnam, um, the space program was starting to ratchet way up. We were doing incredible things, making strides in the space program. Very similar to what's going on right now. So it's kind of one of those, the more things change, the more they stay exactly the same. And I think about, you know, when I was born, I think about when I was a kid, you know, when, when I really started to look around me and, and explore the world that I was living in, and there was good and bad. Quite honestly, the, the, the machines back then were very interesting. And I'm talking by machines, I mean muscle cars. I mean, you think about from 60s, and, and my favorite, favorite era of cars is from right about 1965 to right about 1972. After 72, everything kind of tanked and went downhill for a long time. And I love those machines. My 70 Chevelle was my favorite car to this day. Um, my 72 Chevy pickup truck that I had when I was 16 years old, tearing around uh, my small town of Adrian, Michigan, and causing all kinds of trouble. And it was one of my favorite vehicles, even though it was just a ratted out old truck. There were great machines back then. And I love looking at history. I love looking at where we were. But let's face it, folks, I really enjoy where I am right now. Tomorrow morning, it is my intention to get up and run a half marathon. For those of you who don't know what a half marathon is, it's 13.125 miles. Five days before my birthday, actually four days tomorrow, 
I'm going to run 13 miles. Um, I never in my life could conceive that I could ever do that 10 years ago, even though I was in good shape, even though I was in great shape. I, I played city league basketball, um, you know, well into my adult years. I always played softball, basketball, you know, working out, doing things to keep myself in shape. And, you know, lo and behold, here I am getting ready to turn 55. I look down at my body. I'm not doing too bad. Now, I don't have some, you know, buffed out muscle bound physique. Yeah, I got a little, you know, I, I've got a six pack, but it's under a, a healthy layer of uh, of um, fat. <laughs> <laughs> not a large layer of fat. I'm doing pretty good. But overall, I'm in good health, and that matters a lot. I, I look at uh, I look at Facebook, which is kind of weird, because on Twitter, I hardly know anybody personally on Twitter. Everybody, all, all the followers I have on Twitter are people that have just, you know, like my, the KLRN radio family. Um, people that I, I want to meet someday and 5,000 other of my closest friends on Twitter that, you know, they're, they're somehow we've crossed paths in the realm of ideas. Facebook's not like that. I have very few people on Facebook that I haven't actually met in person that I haven't crossed paths with either musically or family or friends or gone to school with. And I look at some of the people that I've grown up with and I see their Facebook posts and they're they're just not in good health and they and they're regretting their life and they look around and they say oh my gosh i'm so old right now i can't remember a time i can't remember a time in my life that i have been more content with my life than right now even with everything burning down around us such as it is <laughs> i i wake up in the morning and i'm happy I sit and drink my coffee. I listen to the Daily Dose uh, on KLRN Radio, which if you're not doing that, you really need to. I go for a run, go for a walk, whatever's on the agenda that day. I come back. I clean around the house a little bit. And, you know, I just every day is kind of a nice little break, a little Saturday. And then I jet off to work about, you know, and work from 3 to 1130. And on the weekends, I've got every weekend off. I do things on the weekend, like running this half marathon. I, I'm happy. I'm content. My children have all grown up. They've all become, in their own right, successful. Uh, they're working on their lives. Don't have grandkids yet that are related to me, that are actually physically related. I have the privilege of being an honorary grandparent for a couple of kids that I just love to death. I don't know how I could love kids that are, are actually blood related to me any more than I love these. And they call me Papa and, and I play with them and they boss me around and they pick on me much like my own kids did growing up. But I'm pr fiercely proud of them. But my point is, and I'm not just going to sit here and ramble on like an old fool. My point is, is that look around you, look around you. You are living today, right now, even with all the weird stuff going on, you are living in one of the most opportune times we've ever had. And I've said this before on this show, and I'll say it again. We literally carry around the knowledge of the planet and far beyond growing more and more in our pockets, Little would I ever think. I remember my first experience, my first look at a cellular phone. And I remember it. It, it was in the mid-70s. I was quite young. I was, I was walking downtown. And I, and I was in a Mercedes. And I looked in there, and there's this big box. With, you could tell it was a phone. It had the little coily phone cord on it. And it was in the, in the console in the middle of a Mercedes-Benz. And I remember thinking to myself, that person must have a lot of money. They must be very important. Well, flash forward, here we are in 2020. Cell phones are as small and common and personal as your wallet. Everybody has them. Even, even in this country especially, in this country, even some people who are considered the poorest of the poor have access to the cell phone, have access to the internet on their cell phones. 
Some people don't want it. Now, there is a trade-off on that, of course. We have the knowledge of the planet at our fingertips, but we're also tracked. We're tracked like cattle. We've, we've forfeited a large chunk of our privacy in order to have this knowledge. I find that sad. I find that repulsive in ways. I, I wish that wasn't so, but that's how things progressed. Yeah, yeah, there's trade-offs. I guess there's trade-offs in everything you do. But that's one of the things that we can, you know, you want to go somewhere in your car you've never been before. We take it for granted. We just throw our phone on there and we just hit our GPS and say, hey, I want to go here. We don't even have to type things into our phone. We could just talk to it. And I'm not going to say the, the, hey, you know what, because my phone will turn on and ask me what it wants. It's kind of creepy. That, that, that stuff creeps me out a little bit. But what I'm saying is we have the coolest gadgets right now. I look around me just in, in Gadsden Studios here. I look around what I have here that is really didn't cost a whole lot. I'm coming to you from a, a studio that I put together that probably in the 60s would have cost a year or two's wages to have all of this technology. Now, I bought it on credit, paid it off in a few months, and here we are. It never ceases to amaze me. We complain about vehicles nowadays. We complain about them. But in reality, that 70 Chevelle that I loved so much, it was a miracle that I got 135,000 miles out of that thing. It really was. Nowadays, if you don't get a couple of hundred thousand miles out of a vehicle, you're disappointed. I, I have a pickup truck sitting out in the driveway right now. It gets 19 miles to the gallon. That's unheard of. Unheard of. I think about that 72 Chevy truck I had or, or my dad's old red truck, 78 Ford F-150 that, that I drove around. Unbelievable. That thing probably got nine miles to the gallon. And it could barely get out of its own way. I guarantee you, I go out there and romp on that F-150 that I've got right now, and it, it will throw you into the back seat. It's blazing fast. And 19 miles to the gallon. And, and it's got 90,000 miles on it, which I put the bulk of those miles on it. It's showing no signs of wear and tear. It still feels like it's brand new. I'll probably get a couple hundred thousand miles on it before I finally trade it in. Unless, you know, a deer runs out in front of it and totals it or something like that. We live in great times. And I, I get these people, and, and allow me to be a little ranty here. I, I had somebody a couple of weeks ago. They were kind of half picking on me, but half serious. You know, I talk about fitness a lot on this show. Uh, not as much as I used to, but I probably should get back into it. But, you know, they know that I'm training, that I'm getting ready to run this half marathon. And, of course, everything's virtual right now, which, you know, I hate that because I love the, the – I, my time is probably not going to be that great because I love running with the other people, looking around me, seeing people, you know, tracking with somebody, making friends. The last half marathon, the first first half marathon I ran was two years ago. And I, I locked in with a bunch of people that I just walked up to randomly, and they've got mile markers, you know, pace markers. How fast do you run? Well, I plan on running about 11 minutes, maybe 11 and a half minutes a mile. So I walked back to these people that all looked about my age, and I said, is this where the slackers run? And they all started cheering. They said, yeah, we got another one. Come on. I ended up running with most of these people for 13 miles. And during that 13 miles, you become you become friends. You become close. You're all struggling to get to the end of the race. And then about 10, 11 miles into it, everything, everybody starts separating because you start, you know, speeding up, wanting to get that extra time in. But we were laughing and cutting up through most of the race. And as we left, we all waved each other and smiled, said goodbye. And we were friends. We were bonded together with a common thing. And I had somebody ask me, you know, well, you're, you're almost 55. What happens if you have a heart attack or something like that where you're out running? And I, and I didn't snap at the person. I wasn't grouchy about it. But I, as I walked away, I just kind of laughed. I said, nah, I think I'll be all right. As I walked away, I thought to myself, you know, what if? What if? I'll tell you what if. I'll tell you what if real quickly. I would rather drop over out there running 
doing what I love to do, having the energy that I have right now. And believe you me, when you run like that, you develop a lot of energy throughout your day. You realize that you're just this ball of energy all the time. Your body is absorbing and processing calories. You're drinking a lot of water and your body's absorbing and processing that. And it just, it's like fueling a furnace and you're just blazing all day long. You've got all this energy. And you wonder, why do I stop working out? Why do I have to you know, start doing this again? I should just do this all the time because I feel so good. Well, I would rather expire out there on a trail running, knowing that I've lived a really fun, good life, having a blast, bringing you these shows, which is one of the passions that have really developed over the past few years, uh, doing all the things I do, having the fun I have. I would rather go that way then sitting in front of a television, rotting my brain, watching some stupid show that's subliminally pushing ideas into your head that, that you really don't, if you think about, you really don't care for. I'll take my option. Thank you very much. I'm not going to preach at you. I'm not going to tell you you have to do it. But trust me, there is a better world out there. There is a better world that you can partake of that's sitting out there free and clear to you. Free and clear. Doesn't cost you a dime. Well, it might cost you some money for running shoes, but you don't really have to run. You can get out and walk. Go take a trip out in the woods. There's land around you, state land. There's parks. There's places you can go that don't cost much at all, even if you don't make that much money, that you can just enjoy such a quality life. Observe things going on around you. Make notes of, of how things work. It's all about the quality of your life. Possessions really don't mean a whole lot. And I'm getting to that point now where I'm looking around me going, what can I get rid of? They just bog you down. And I have too much stuff. I'll say that. I'm a musician, which means I'm a hoarder. I'm a, you know, most musicians are hoarders. You don't know that, but they are. But, you know, looking back... At 1965, when I was born, it's kind of a cool thing to do. And like I said before, um, one of the coolest things, like the Gemini 4 mission, was on June 3rd, 1965. Ed White became the first American to conduct a spacewalk. Uh, Muhammad Ali, heavyweight champion, stands over, uh, uh, beat Sonny Liston, shouting and gesturing shortly. And, and this is all coming from the Atlantic. And I remember Muhammad Ali, I remember as a kid, when there was a Muhammad Ali fight, it was a big deal around our house. I mean, we didn't get to watch a lot of TV to begin with, but when Muhammad Ali fought, we would actually, you know, splurge and get Domino's pizza, which we hardly ever got pizza from, you know, my mom always made dinner. We hardly ever, and I actually got to drink pop too. I hardly ever got to drink Coke. Give me a good Coca-Cola on ice and a couple of pieces of, of pepperoni pizza. I was in heaven. And my whole point of watching Muhammad Ali fight, I didn't like him. I didn't like him at all. And I was just hoping somebody would take that glove, their, their, their boxing gloved hands and just shut him up, smack him square in the face and just shut that mouth that ran all the time up. Little did I realize, you know, when I got older and I looked back at his fights, the man was a tactical genius. He knew. He knew what he was doing. He was psychologically getting in these people's heads and getting to them, making them angry. And when he knew that when you're, when you're angry, when you're being taunted and befuddled and everything, you made mistakes, and he would take advantage of those mistakes. Yeah, now I look back and I think the guy was a genius. Whether you liked him or not, you got to admit, he knew what he was doing. He's a tactical genius. 1965, Lyndon B. Johnson was sworn in as President of the United States on January 20th. Um, you had all kinds of civil unrest. You had the Selma incident. You know, uh, Wilson Baker, Director of Public Safety, arrested Martin Luther King Jr. and 250 of his followers for parading without a permit. The Beatles were starting to really, really take hold. They were invading. And, of course, you had Vietnam, you know, which turned out to be just an absolute disaster. 
you had the uh, Sydney Opera House being built in 1965. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The weather was screwy. You had all these tornadoes that were hitting. You had all this civil unrest. You had all these weird things going on. Um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was starting to come up. He was in high school at the time. Seven foot one. You know, and there again, you had uh, Agent Orange being sprayed <laughs> in Vietnam. Well, that turned out to be bad. Malcolm X assassinated February 21st, 1965. Three members of the Nation of Islam were tried and convicted of the killing because he broke with the Nation of Islam and they assassinated him. A lot of things like that happening. Some of the first pictures of Mars was taken on July 14th, 1965 from Mariner 4. And they were very grainy. You look at these pictures, they're very grainy, very pixelated. Now we have vehicles driving around on Mars. It's just crazy. We were in the middle of the Cold War. Moscow Red Square was was marking Victory Day in Europe by driving around one of their intercontinental uh, ballistic missiles. I mean, you had all kinds of stuff like that. It was a it was an uneasy time, but it was a cool time at the same time, much like today. And one of the things that, you know, you talk about the space race, you talk about all this stuff. One of the things that always got me, looking back to those eras, we were making progress in the fields of flight, that we didn't even know we were making. Very few people in this government knew we were making. The SR-71 was, uh, was, was, you know, in the air by 1965. Designed to replace the U-2 Dragon Lady, which had become vulnerable to, to uh, air, surface-to-air missiles. One was even shot down. But it's kind of funny, if you've ever studied the history of the SR-71, uh, Skunk Works is the, are the people who designed it, and, and you know they were part of a Lockheed Martin. And there was so much, I don't know, secrecy behind it. It was, it was, it was such a tight-knit secret. They kept everybody basically pinned down. But there was rumors, and I, I fell into this like, while studying some of the history that was going on in the 65 uh, this is from the nationalinterest.org. It says, um, there are a few secret projects like the U.S. Air Force Black uh, Projects. And that was certainly the case for the famed SR-71 Blackbird. SR-71 was no ordinary aircraft. It was a big, beautiful, state-of-the-art spy plane designed in the 50s and early 60s to fly quickly at high altitudes over the Soviet Union. Uh, Lockheed and the Air Force tr- uh, treated the project with intense secrety, secrecy. Uh, when still totally classified, the CIA recorded any hints that reporters, analysts, or civilian plane watchers might have as to the jet's existence. Not only did they keep it secret, but if, if you let out that you kind of knew that there was something weird going on, they recorded that. They wanted to know who knew what. Now, to keep the program under wraps, Lockheed engineers quietly worked on the plane at the company's Skunk Works division in Burbank, California. And they tested it in an isolated Air Force that uh, Air Force base that we now know as Area 51, beginning in 1958. Now, it's kind of funny because uh, the first outsiders to notice there was something weird going on, John B. Pearson was a retired admiral who was wor- uh, then working for North American Aviation, um, it was his job to study military aircraft industry, and he suspected by April 1962 that the Air Force, Lockheed, and the CIA were up to something big, and he had a lot of reasons for it. One of them, he could not get a hold of his friend Clarence Johnson, they called him Kelly Johnson, uh, <laughs> who was the leader of Skunk Works, one of the chief designers of the SR-71, the person who pretty much was responsible for bringing you things like stealth. I mean, this guy was incredible. If you ever get a chance to study... There's a couple of books out there on Skunk Works, on Kelly Johnson. Absolutely incredible stuff. Read your history. He is responsible for a lot of the stuff we have today. 
But anyways, he was hard to get a hold of. And this guy's thinking, uh, okay, there's something big going on out there. Uh, there was an, an engine being developed. Hughes Aircraft Company, uh, the engineers that developed the firm's GAR-9 missile, was assisting on a secret aircraft program at Lockheed because the F-108 Rapier, the only known plane which could fire that missile, had been canceled. So he, he just basically said, well, okay, if they canceled that, the only people who could fire this missile, what are they building that could fire this missile? And a relative of mine, close relative of mine, told me one time, he was, he was retired Air Force, he said, you got to think of it this way. If they retire one of the fastest planes in the world, what do they have to replace it? If they retire technology that's cutting edge, what do they have to replace it? But anyways, they had a hard time keeping this thing safe. And one of the nails in the coffin, which made me laugh, and I remember this as a kid, was uh, one of the model companies coming out with this jet. And I think they even called it the Blackbird or the Black Jet. And it looked just like, I mean, there was a few minor differences, but it looked just like the SR-71. And it sent the government into a total freakout because that was classified. And they, they literally went to the model company and went, how did you get this, this design? How did you get this? Where did it come from? <laughs> so, yeah, things were going on in the 60s when I was born in the early 70s. That leads to what we have today. And it's, it's, it's very interesting stuff. <sighs> Thank you for indulging in this first half hour of the show. My little, uh, my little speech about where we've been. We're going to come back. We're going to figure out where we're going. Uh, it's my birthday special. I guess we'll just declare it my birthday special on uh, I Do This For Free the refreshingly non-political podcast about everything else, which I don't get paid a dime for. We've already reached the bottom of the hour with my rantings and ravings. And when we come back, we're going to take a look at maybe some of the things going on in the future. Don't go anywhere. We still got a whole half a show to go. Listen now and don't forget if you go for that solid jive, you can always keep the dream alive. Palin, palin, palin with that. My son was in the Army back during Desert Storm, but even then he wanted an MBA. He looked at a dozen schools, but only one offered the online education and flexibility he needed while he was in a tent in Iraq, Grantham University. Turns out that Grantham's been delivering affordable, relevant college and advanced degrees for over 65 years. Heck, if they can deliver a quality education to a soldier in a tent overseas, think about the flexibility Grantham can offer you so you can earn your degree, too. It doesn't matter how complicated or full your life is. If getting a degree is on your bucket list, you'll want to do what my son did. You'll want to call Grantham. Find out how easy it is to get started on your education so you can check that college degree off your bucket list. Call Grantham right now. 800-910-1370. That's 800-910-1370. Flexible. Affordable. Relevant. Call 800-910-1370. Tired of paying outrageous prices for Viagra? Well, we have great news for you. Now you can finally get Viagra at huge discounts. Healthy Man allows you to save up to $500 on Viagra. Why pay U.S. pharmacy prices of $15 per pill or more when you can get Viagra for less than $3 a pill? Call today and get 40 Viagra pills for only $99. This can cost as much as $600 at your local pharmacy. You can't afford not to call us. If you want Viagra at the lowest prices, never pay $15 of pill pharmacy prices again. Get Viagra for less than $3 a pill. Call 1-800-516-7602 today and save up to $500 and get 40 pills for just $99. Healthy Man is fast, easy, and affordable. Operators are waiting at 1-800-516-7602 to take your call right now. Call 1-800-516-7602. That's 1-800-516-7602. Again, 1-800-516-7602. 
Attention business owners and independent contractors. This is a money-saving message from Tax Mediation Services. If your business owes $20,000 or more in taxes, we can help you today, right now. Listen, dealing with the IRS is no picnic. It's an intimidating and extremely stressful process, and you don't want to go it alone. Our attorneys know every law, every tax break, and every possible opportunity to help you resolve and reduce your tax debt. And if you owe more than $20,000, you may be at the top of their hit list. So don't take your tax debt lightly because it will not go away on its own. The IRS can seize your bank accounts, your home, and even shut down your business. Call our tax experts today at 1-800-783-0810 and let us deal with the IRS while you focus on your business. That's 1-800-783-0810. Again, that's 800-783-0810. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. I'm back. It is a refreshingly non-political podcast about everything else. I'm your humble host, Alan Ray. Coming to you from Gadsden Studios in the corn and bean fields of southeastern Michigan. You know, one of the things that uh, I want to touch on, I I just ran across today. You didn't really hear a lot about this in the news. It should be a very big event. This is the 75th anniversary. September 2nd was the 75th anniversary of the uh, Victory Over Japan Day. Today, the guns are silent. A great tragedy has ended. A great victory has been won. That was from Douglas MacArthur. Following the signing of Japan's unconditional surrender on board the battleship USS Missouri in Tokyo Bay, September 2nd, 75 years ago. That signing ceremony ended the last phase of World War II, the bloodiest war in history. As MacArthur indicated, it also opened up a new era in the relationship between the United States and Asia, in which once defeated Japan has come to play a pivotal part. Now, after being America's mortal enemy, Japan has become the U.S.'s closest and oldest ally in Asia. This is a tribute not only to the generations of leadership in both countries, but also to the hopes that MacArthur set in motion on that day. On the one hand, the ceremony of VJ Day was magnificent display of American power. On board the USS Missouri were representatives in an international coalition to defeat the Imperial Japan that included Soviet Union, as well as Great Britain and its dominions, and China. Tokyo Bay itself was filled with American warships as far as the eye could see, and when the surrender was completed, MacArthur staged an overflight of more than 1,500 Navy warplanes and 400 B-29s, which was a super bomber that actually dropped the atomic, or yeah, the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. However, you look to today, you look to today, 75 years later, like they said, uh, the attitudes after the war changed everything. MacArthur had also brought on board the Missouri, uh, the pennant that Commodore Matthew Perry had flown from his flagship when he sailed into Tokyo Bay in 1853. His purpose, MacArthur told his audience, both on shipboard and on a global radio hookup, was to bring to Japan an era of enlightenment and progress by lifting the veil of isolation to the friendship, trade, and commerce of the world. That was a pledge that extended not just to Japan in MacArthur's mind, but to all of Asia, whose unshackled peoples are tasting the full sweetness of liberty and the relief from fear. So we look back 75 years ago. We helped, you know, yes, we, uh, we Detroit destroyed the Japanese Navy. We ruined their army. Um, yes, we did bomb a couple of cities. It was an unfortunate decision that had to have been made because if we would have actually invaded them... Many, many more millions of people on both sides would have been lost. And we look back 75 years later, and Japan is truly one of our closest allies. We, we trade with them. We, the Japanese people are in America. Americans are in Japan. 
I would love to go to Japan one of these days. It's beautiful. It's been rebuilt. It's been just, it's a gorgeous place. And we look back at the tragedy that was World War II. The millions of people that were lost in World War II. The craziness of it all. There again, I encourage you to study your history. I won't go too much into it. But it was just the, the, the way we had to go from being a country that was kind of isolationist, didn't really want to get into World War II. And if you study, and I, I have transcripts of a diary from a relative of mine that was the common thinking of the time for the average person. You know, what's going on in Europe needs to just stay in Europe. And the president at the time, and Congress and, and the people in D.C. and a lot of people, a lot of people who are actually more into tune with global affairs, knew that it was inevitable that we were going to get dragged into it. And when we did, we went from a totally isolationist nation to somebody who, to a nation that ramped up its industrial might, ramped up its resources. Everybody pitched in, ramped up its human resources. And we went to Europe and we went to Japan and we kicked everybody's butt. Now, we couldn't have done it without the rest of the coalition. And those of you who actually know history know how huge of a part that Russia played in helping to defeat the Nazis in Europe. We know that, you know, how huge of a part that Britain, even though, you know, Britain was decimated, they helped play you know, in, in the planning and, and the help, and, and it was a coalition. We all got together. Australia, a lot of people just overlook Australia. If it wasn't for Australia, we would have had a heck of a time trying to take the islands back over, marching towards Japan. The history behind it is, is terrible, but yet fascinating. And as a result, the way we handled that diplomatically we have a close ally instead of a still bitter enemy. Speaking of that, I ran across this, and this would have never happened years ago, but it's happening now. And, and it's not news news. It's just a, an example of how Japan and the United States have basically become allied. General Motors and Honda Motor Corporation on Thursday said they have assigned a, mem a memorandum of understanding towards establishing a strategic alliance in North America. Honda, of course, being a Japanese car manufacturer, General Motors, American. And what they're going to do is um, development planning discussions between Detroit and Japanese automakers will begin immediately with engineering work to start upping the uh, electronics upping the hybrid cars through this new alliance with general motors uh, cg kuriyashi honda executive vice president said in a statement we can achieve substantial cost efficiencies in north america that will enable us to invest in future mobile mobility technology while maintaining our own distinct and competitive product offerings in other words what they're going to do is a win-win collaboration to bring a new breed of cars that are Honda and GM made. Some of them will be badged as Honda. Some of them will be badged as General Motors. Now, before you gasp, before you go, oh, my gosh, you know, this is selling out. This goes on a lot in the automotive industry. Mazda and Ford collaborated for a long time. You had the Ford Probe, which was a Mazda. You know, a lot of it, a lot of Mazdas and Fords were, you know, were just basically they would just badge one one way, badge one the other way, give you different options, maybe change the grill a little bit. Um, it goes on overseas all the time. You know, Yugo, you look at the old Yugo, we laugh about those. <laughs> I do at least. But the Yugo was a Fiat. The brakes were all Fiat. You know, so this is nothing new. However, it's an example of the bond between Japan and the United States that carries on to this day because of how we handled things years ago. Maybe it's a good lesson for us to think about today. You know, one of the things, being my birthday special, being how I can just indulge in whatever I want today, thank you very much. I do that anyways, by the way. One of the things that always made me mad growing up, when I, when I became an adult, when I got, especially when it was the year 2000 and I looked around, I was always promised growing up that 
in the year 2000, we would have flying cars. Everybody would have a flying car. That was a lie. And I'm, I'm very bitter about that lie. To this day, to this day, if I had a time machine, I would go back. And every time one of these teachers or, or one of the people who taught, you know, current events and things like that said, well, in 2000, we're going to have a flying car. I just want to walk up to him and slap him. No, we're not. <laughs> well, that may change. Because according to New York Times, a Japanese company says it has completed a manned flight of its electrical vertical takeoff and landing machine, which basically looks like a flying car. In the 1880s, the first automobile was developed, and about two decades later, the Wright brothers in North Carolina invented the first successful airplane. Today, the world is closer to combining those two concepts as Japanese tech company said it completed a manned test flight of a flying car. Now, there's always those people, well, technically we have a flying car. No, no, we don't. We don't. We have a couple of prototypes. We have a couple of prototypes, and they never take off. I'm talking one in every driveway. I want my flying car. People, I've got 20, maybe 30 years left on this planet, if I'm lucky. Time is running out. Where's my flying car? Let's get busy. Anyways, a company called SkyDrive <laughs> said a news release on Friday that it had completed a flight test using the world's first manned testing machine. It's SDO3 model, an electrical vertical takeoff and landing vehicle. The flight time was four minutes, the company said. You're paying attention to this, Elon Musk? This is, this is what we want. This is what we want. Electric vehicles are cool, okay? Your rocket's going to the moon. Your rocket's going to Mars. These are cool. I like them. I, I, I endorse them. But what we really, really want, what would cause world peace right now is flying cars. I think, that, I think that's why everything's so screwed up. Here it is, 2020, and everything's melting down. Because we were, you know, people my age were all promised that we would have flying cars. Of course, we were also told we would be under two miles of ice because we had an impending ice age. Uh, we were also told the Amazon rainforest would be completely gone by now and we would all be starved for oxygen. We also were told that there would be, you know, global famine. There's none of that. So, so when you hear the, the term settled science, laugh. Don't believe it for a minute. A minute. There's no such thing as settled science. There never has been. Science changes as information comes in. The term settled science, whoever utters it, shows their total ignorance. I'm going to go out there and say that. Whoever utters settled science shows their lack of imagination and total ignorance. All of the things you look back at, all the things I look back at since I was aware, which would be, you know, early 70s, when we had to bring home those little weekly readers or whatever from school that would tell you things, like acid rain was going to kill us all, was going to burn the paint off our cars. Okay, we cured it. We have these things called catalytic converters now that, that they put on everything from cars to smokestacks and factories and everything. The EPA has done a good job of making sure that we're nowhere near what we used to be back in the 70s. They don't advertise that a lot because they still want to push us into grass huts, but I'm not going to get political about it. But we were told a lot of stuff back in the 70s, back in the 80s, even in the 90s, that just wasn't true. They were guesses. They were somebody's ideas, somebody's models. And, and I've been actually told, and I laugh openly, mockingly at this. I was told, we were never told there was going to be an ice age. There's literally an hour program out there. Leonard Nimoy, for an hour, telling us, convincing us that it's settled science. The scientists are telling us right now we are heading for another ice age. Because of all the bad winters we had in the 70s, all the crazy summers we had, the weather was just crazy. It was just inevitable. We were heading for an ice age. See, we were lied to all this time. We never had flying cars. And that's why we are all so crazy. That's why we're all so bitter. <laughs> it's the flying cars, people. We need them. I want one. I don't have a lot longer. 
what else we have going on? You know, let's talk a little fitness, okay? We started the program out with a little fitness. Let's end it with a little fitness. I told you I'm, I'm going to be uh, doing this half marathon. Now, this is something I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to take. Uh, innovative technology using immersive virtual reality has been developed by researchers at the Smart Aging Research uh, Center at Tohoku University in Japan. This is according to uh, MedDNA.net. The IVR works by allowing the creation of a realistic virtual world that can be explored with a virtual body. This can lead to many physical and cognitive benefits. I don't know how this does it physically, but anyways, we all know that physical exercise is crucial for overall well-being. Yep, yada, yada, we know that. Unfortunately, physical activities are not always possible for people suffering or recovering from long-term diseases. Good point. This new technology, IVR, allows the creation of a realistic virtual world that we can explore with our virtual bodies and can help solve this problem. It sounds unreal, but the illusion is so effective that even with a person sitting and the virtual body walking, the person thinks he or she is moving, and it generates comparable physiological reactions. Uh, Professor Ryuta Kawashima, director of IDAC, led the team of researchers to explore whether or not virtual training can have similar benefits on cognitive functions as physical exercise. Healthy young participants underwent the virtual training protocol. Wearing an IVR headset while sitting, they also saw virtual body displayed in the first-person perspective. This created the illusory feel, uh, feeling of being the avatar itself. The virtual body alternated between 30 seconds of walking and 30 seconds of running for 8 minutes. Researchers found that participants' heart rates increased coherently with the virtual movements, despite the fact that the subjects were completely still. More importantly, Cognitive functions, specifically executive functions, and their neural bases were tested before and after the virtual training. The results showed that participants improved their cognitive performance. Specifically, they were faster, as also confirmed by the increased activ activation of the brain-related areas. The application of the immersive virtual reality for clinical purposes is often doubted because it was originally designed for entertainment, says Professor Dalila Byrne. But this study proves that training protocols in IVR, virtual reality, can be useful for people with motor impairments to have comparable benefits to real physical activities. It is also beneficial for people who want to start exercising in an entertainment and safe, entertaining and safe way. My mind is blown right now. I'm going to tell you. Um, basically, what they're telling you is this. They, they put these virtual reality glasses on. Now, there's a pair of these uh, virtual reality uh, uh, goggles in my house. Uh, my son left them here when he moved out. And every once in a while, I would put them on and, you know, watch Pink Floyd videos or whatever. But uh, <laughs> to me, they're amazing. Absolutely amazing. Now, what they're telling me is if there's one of them days where maybe I'm fighting through an injury, and let's face it, when you run, when you lift weights, when you do everything, and, uh, and, and G, who does, uh, who does the uh, curmudgeon radio show on net, America's podcast network, he's a weightlifting buff. He'll, he'll, he'll testify to this, that you injure yourself, and sometimes you have to stop working out for a while. What this is telling me and telling you is that you can begin almost immediately rehabilitating yourself using virtual technology. That, that you can probably maintain a lot of your function. And I'm interested, I'm interested to see uh, if you will have, uh, uh, you know, muscle retainment by using VR. The body is an amazing thing. It just tells me that the brain is absolutely astounding. It's an amazing, amazing computer. That thing God put between your ears, a lot of times is the only thing keeping you from success. Whether you can imagine it or whether you can't. And this is telling me that, that imagination, that visualization, which I've always been a fan. I've always been a fan of visualization. I am living proof that if you visualize yourself doing things, that the chances of succeeding physically when you decide to do them are enhanced. 
people who shoot are the same way. Uh, if, if you visualize yourself, whether shooting a gun, a bow, whatever, if you get into the practice of visualizing where your arrow, where your bullet's going to go, it improves your shooting score. It improves your aim. Same thing with lifting weights, running. If you imagine yourself doing it, it helps. Now, this, this virtual training actually confirms that, I believe, and also, also tells you that this can help paraplegics, quadriplegics. It can help all kinds of people. I mean, maybe help restore some bodily functions. I don't know, some, some muscle functions, some nerve functions. This is a tip of an iceberg type uh, technology that I want to keep track of. I want to learn more about this study. This could be huge. It could be very, very big going forward. <sighs> One more thing when it comes to that, uh, that machine that's between your ears. You got children, you got grandchildren. Teach them a second language. You'll be doing them a favor as they age. Same, uh, I guess this is medindia.net that this comes from. Speaking more than one language during childhood prevents significant loss of gray matter during adulthood. In a paper published by Brain Structure and Function, an international team of academics led by University of Reading and Georgetown University looked at detailed scans of children's and adolescents' brains and found that bilingual participants had potential advantages of both gray and white matter than similarly aged children who spoke only one language. Do your kids a favor. Teach them more than one language. I, I knew just enough guttural Spanglish and Spanish growing up because just the area that I lived in, I knew how to uh, either talk myself into a fight or get myself out of one. You know, Spanish was the big thing to learn around this area because we, we have a high Latino population. But honestly, honestly, in this country, and I don't know why this is, but this nation, they don't really put a lot of focus on teaching different languages for kids. Now, you reach a certain point, you know, and then those of you who don't know psychology, don't understand psychology, take a psychology class, trust me. From birth until about puberty is your best opportunity to actually learn two languages. If for some reason your brain is wired where you're at that age, you can seamlessly learn two languages. Why we don't do this in this nation? A lot of other nations do this. A lot of Germany. Most Germans can speak German and English. Uh, you know, why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we do that? Now there's actual proof that bilingual helps when you get older can stave off a lot of brain diseases, dementia, things like that. Ah, we're winding down the show. Thank you for being with me for the last hour. Um, it is our politics free Friday night. Uh, you had in the crease before this, you had chick chat before Jeff, you got juxtaposition coming up and, uh, it's a great night. Have a great weekend. Get out there, do something for yourself. You know, it's a big, beautiful world. And even though a lot of people are trying to convince you lately that it's a horrible, horrible place and there's a horrible, horrible things happening, do me a favor, shut off that stupid television, turn off the social media, get out there and get all primitive. Make yourself a nice little campfire, roast a steak over it, <laughs> get back to simple life for a while. Give yourself a vacation from all of the craziness that's going on. Trust me, you do this tomorrow, you do this Sunday, you do this Monday. When you come back to work Tuesday, you'll be a completely different person with a completely different appreciation. Try it. Try it. Get out there and just simplify yourself for the weekend. I'm declaring it. I'm declaring it right now. I'm declaring it right now. Because it's my birthday week coming up next week, I'm declaring it a low-technology weekend. I'll have to use a little technology. i got to track my race. And, of course, i got to brag about it just a little bit when I'm done on social media. I'll do that. But other than that, you're probably not going to see me around a whole lot, except, except 
for Sunday night at 8 o'clock when you can hear me on Circumspice, the right side of Michigan. All things Michigan from a conservative point of view. It's a fun show. Gosh, I'm loving that show. I'm already like half ready for it. Just bring it on. We'll have a good time. Stay tuned for Juxtaposition coming up next on KLRN Radio, America's podcast network. I'm Alan Ray. This is I Do This for Free, the refreshingly non-political podcast about everything else. Thank you for joining me. God bless you. God bless America. We'll talk again soon. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.